Before we begin, we would like to acknowledge the Cabragal clan of the Darug Nation, who are the traditional custodians of this land we are meeting on today. We also pay our respects to the elders, both past and present and future of the Darug Nation. Hey friends, welcome to our podcast, A Seat at Our Table. Candid conversations about our Asian Australian experience in the creative industry. I'm Wendy. I'm Tracy. We, we saved, saved you a seat. seat. Come, Come join us. us. Hey friends, welcome back to the podcast, episode two. Take two. Oh guys, the journey to this episode, something else. <laughs> <laughs> we decided to try and film episode two, take one, early in the morning, but we just figured that <laughs> we're not morning people. We should have known this trick. Yeah, it was like 8.30 a.m., very ambitious, on a Sunday morning. Yeah, and we were listening back to the recording. We were just sounding really, really dead, dead. so... For our listeners, we're all about quality here, so we're doing this take again. Yeah, so this is the second time we're doing this. It's a Thursday night now. Yes, it's 9pm. <laughs> On a weeknight, we're wild. Um, yeah, we decided this morning to do this episode again because we are perfectionists to a certain yes. degree. Um, we also just spent about an, over an hour trying to figure out this microphone situation. Yeah, podcast newbies. Yeah, send us your tips, guys. Yeah. Anyway. We figured it out. It's fine. We're here now. <laughs> um, hopefully, this will be the only take. Fingers crossed. Lol. Yes. All right. Let's dive into it. So in today's episode, we're going to talk about pursuing non-traditional Asian careers. We're going to introduce what we do, our industries, how we got there, and our greatest learnings so far. Amazing. So to start off with, um, we recognize that some of you know us really, really well, but some of you don't from a professional standpoint. So I'll introduce um, my nine to five. I am a design consultant for a service design company called the Customer Experience Company. I do this Monday to Friday. Um, and I first started off in consulting at Deloitte Digital, but I ended up here within the last half year or so. Um, how about you, Tracy? So I'm an account manager at a digital advertising agency called Orchard. Um, so I've been here a bit over a year now, and I was in a agency called Ogilvy Health before that. Good point. I didn't mention how long I've been in the industry. Mm. I've been um, in consulting for almost three years now. And I think, Tracy, you've been around for like three and, three and, half, and a half years, years in yeah. advertising. Yes. So very, very similar um, lengths in the industry, the creative industry. What does a day in the life look like for you, Tracy? Yeah, so how I explain what I do to people is that I guess my team is an extension of our client's marketing team. So how it works is our clients would brief me, um, specifically because I'm an account manager, so I'm client-facing, on their problem, what they want to do. Um, so, for example, it could be launching a new product next year, and they brief that into me. I get that briefed into my creative team. So I work with designers and copywriters and a bunch of strategists and other people. And we come back, we come back with the best solution and creative for the client. So that's kind of essentially what we do in a nutshell. How about you? I always find it really difficult to tell people what I do. Um, But I tell people that I studied graphic design in uni, but what I do day to day uses kind of the conceptual skills that I learned in uni to use like design thinking, methodologies and human-centered design to help clients like problem solve. 
So to put that in layman's terms, it's kind of like um, if a client comes to us with a problem about their service, they send us out to do some research around how to improve it. And then we listen to the pain points of like customers and then respond to it with a set of solutions that they can implement to improve their service. So that's what it is um, in a nutshell as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think what would be interesting actually is to hear beyond what we do nine to five is the journey that we took to get mm. to where we are today. Um, so Tracy, how did how did you end up in this career? How did it come about? Oh, that's a big question. Um, I never knew about the advertising industry. Like I think I only found out about it probably in my last year of university. To be honest, when I was very young, I wanted to be a bunch of different things, really random. I wanted to be an office lady at school um, <laughs> because they, like, I don't know, they were just always in their aircon offices <laughs> in computers. And I just, as a student, was I really envied them. And that was, I think, I, honestly, that was my first memory of what I wanted to do. And then after that, I wanted to be an illustrator, then an author, then I wanted to get into fashion design, and then I wanted to go into environmental science, you know. A lot of things. Um, so for me, how it came about was I always knew I wanted to, well, after year 12, I knew I wanted to get into marketing because for me, I was really interested in combining the creative side as well as the kind of more analytical problem solving side of me. And I felt like marketing was a good place for me to start because I do wanted to, I wanted to in the future create um, working places with social impact. So I thought that building up the skills in marketing was right for me. And then I went to uni and then found did a random advertising unit. And that's when I found out about this industry that I've never really heard about. So that's how I kind of came about mm. this career. Yeah. I vaguely remember you having like an existential crisis in year 12, not really knowing <laughs> what you wanted to do. Yes. Because um, you were just so like, I guess unsure if you want to go down the design route. Yeah. Like I was pretty set, honestly. I think I was set from year seven to year 10. I was like almost certain that I was going to go into fashion design. Yeah. And then I had this crisis where I was like, oh my God, I'm not good enough for the industry. It's so cutthroat. Like, why am I even pursuing this? Um, so it was a little bit of self-doubt, but also I think it was my Asian maybe values kicking in, like, you know, where's the stability in this mm. and whatnot. But then I do realize that maybe I wasn't passionate enough for it to become my career as well. Like it was something I wanted to do as a hobby. So I didn't end up pursuing it. And I don't regret it. Like in hindsight, I love working in advertising and I really do not regret going into fashion because knowing what the industry is like now, I'm glad I didn't. Yeah. Thinking back to it, I think in high school, we didn't even get exposure to the uh, range of different types of creative yes. subjects. Yeah. I, unlike Tracy, kind of always knew that I wanted to do something in the creative industry. I just didn't know what um, shape or form that could take. Mm. And it wasn't until I attended a UTS open day that I understood what visual communications was, which is what I studied in uni. And basically it's graphic design, but you go through high school not really knowing what subjects can lead to what types of different career pathways. Yeah. Um, and all we did was textiles, I think, <laughs> and like visual arts, but that is not an indication of what's possible in the creative industry. And I was really driven by, I guess, my ambition to do something creative. And so that's when I went out and searched for extra information because I felt like we didn't get that at high school. 
And so that's why like open days are so useful. Yeah. Did you feel like you knew anyone in the creative industry? Like, did you have a point of reference? No, not at all. I think my only point of reference was actually my older sister. Mm. And I remember learning like Photoshop from her in year six. And I think that's what started. (laughs) (laughs) I did used to make Bebo skins. So did I. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Self-proclaimed designer at like 12 years old. But I think that was the first time I actually understood what was possible with the programs that were out there and how I could guide my own kind of direction into um, design. But I think like nobody from our school ended up going to into design except myself and one other person who went into interior design. And so I guess it was a really big and scary move and it was because it was like this massive world of the unknown and there was no kind of evidence that I could see um, kind of on face value of people around me who were in that industry. Like everyone I knew around me who had left high school and gone to university was kind of in like commerce, yeah. business, um, you know, physios. And so I was like, is it a big risk going mm. into this industry? Uh, but I took a leap of faith anyway. Um, partially because I wanted to prove my parents wrong because <laughs> they didn't believe that this career was a traditional kind of like Asian career that would um, ensure that I would have stability and kind of a good financially um, secure future. Yeah, I feel like for our parents, they probably put the emphasis more on stability in a career and they're not really exposed to all these other careers, like you said, like in design or whatnot because that's just not the world they came from and they just want to know that you're going to be okay financially I think because they spent their entire lives kind of working so hard in a new country as migrants that that's their priority and I think that's a kind of pressure do you feel like they put on us yeah kind of I just want to like take a step back and kind of um look at this from the perspective of um traditional versus non-traditional Asian careers And just for a disclaimer, we're kind of defining these uh, traditional Asian careers, and I say that with quotation marks, in the context of our own lived experiences as Chinese, Vietnamese, um, Australians. So our perceptions and everything we say about what we understand of them are kind of like just through our experiences and not, I guess, factual. Yes. (laughs) Factual to us. Factual to us. Not to everybody. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, I think the way that we define traditional Asian careers. Some examples are like doctors, pharmacists, physios. I think it's like careers that you've been exposed to as a child or your parents have been exposed to. Like they had friends, children who went into this career or they knew people growing up that went into this career. More Western. Yeah, more Westernized type careers. And I think, you know, you talked about it before how – when our parents came to Australia, like they only really knew so much. Yes. And so they didn't have a clear understanding of what the education system was like here. I think it was almost like they looked around at their peers and it was like, what worked for them, right? Because they're starting from scratch in a new country. So they're like, oh, my friend's daughter went into pharmacy and she's successful oh my and God, she's happy. Yes. <laughs> so I'm going to tell my daughter to do that because that's what I know will work. That's the formula that will work. They're not exposed to anything else. Yeah, that's exactly what happened to me. I remember quite vividly my mum saying to me, um, what are you going to choose for uni? 
And she floated the idea of becoming a pharmacist to me. Obviously, (laughs) it went in one ear and out the other. But it was because she had heard somebody else in the area, her daughters had opened up like multiple pharmacies and they were really, really successful. And so I guess my mom kind of saw the same vision for me. Um, But, you know, obviously I felt like it was a passing thought. So I totally dismissed it. (laughs) Yeah. Did you feel any other pressures from your parents? Not necessarily. I think for me, particularly, I was, I'm quite lucky because I'm the third child of four girls. And so my two older sisters kind of set the pace and the tone for what was expected. It was always unspoken that, you know, we would have to work hard and commit to our studies as much as we can. But my parents never outwardly said like, you need to get yeah. you know, A's or you need to get 90% plus in all of your exams and whatnot. I put the pressure on myself because I saw how hardworking my sisters were. And so I think that set the tone for me, but I don't know what it's like being the eldest child. Yeah. So I'm the eldest child and I was the first, obviously in family to go to university. My parents didn't make it past year 10 high school in Vietnam. So I think everything was very new for them, but I'm very lucky in the sense that when I grew up, in high school, in university, they were just like, whatever makes you happy, do it. They never put the pressure for me to pursue, I don't know, traditional Asian careers. Um, so not the stereotype that people think, like Thai parents or not. But yeah, I never got that pressure. But I think the pressure that I felt was like Wendy said, something that I put on myself as the eldest child. I felt like I did wanted to, like I wanted to do well or be successful to make my parents happy and feel reassured that their hard work has not gone to waste almost. Yeah. And I wanted to be a good role model for my two younger sisters. So I think I put the pressure to work hard and achieve the things I wanted to achieve, but in particular, but they didn't put the pressure into what that was, like what career that was that I wanted to pursue. I totally resonate with that because I think if you ask a lot of people in our particular area in Southwest Sydney, what, motivates them and what drives them to like work hard Mm. and a lot of people would probably say for their parents or to be able to earn enough or have a stable career so that they can create a future for their parents that is not so difficult yeah this is interesting reminds me of a story like I had a friend from overseas that was kind of like why are you living for your parents but I think it's just a difference in culture. Like, I'm like, what do you mean? Like, I have to live for my parents. They like they play such a big role in who I am. And I think as children of migrant parents, there's just a, such a big connection there. Yeah, I think because you understand the struggles yes. that your parents went through. To a certain degree, we will never understand the complete story, I think. But when you think about when they came to Australia, them having nothing, not even being able to speak like a word of yes. English and how they've gotten by just doing like shift work and all that kind of stuff it's it's kind of mind-blowing and you feel like the least that you can do is to give them peace of mind that you're going to be okay as well and I think that translates so um kind of strongly into the decisions we make throughout our careers as well yeah I agree was money a big consideration for you because of this yeah I think to a certain degree money is always kind of like in the back of my mind in all the all the decisions that I make not just when I was kind of trying to decide what to do and I guess the salary expectations that was attached to the career but also thinking about um money kind of equals success in Asian culture yes and I think 
that's what gives parents peace of mind that you're doing something that is going to guarantee a future that is stable. Yes. Do you agree, Trace? Yeah, I think so. Like the emphasis on money was so big, maybe because personally I didn't come from money. My family didn't come from money. Um, so that's always been something that's played in my the back of my mind or actually the forefront of my mind. I think throughout my entire university degree and going into work as well, money is such a big factor for me because of that expectation almost to make money. Yeah. And I think there's an emphasis that's placed on it as you're growing up not to be so lavish with your money, kind of like spending here and there, but kind of being more mindful about um, taking your earnings a bit more seriously and putting investing them into things that actually matter. And I think that was kind of a big lesson for me because we started working from so young, but then that mentality kind of translated into even my career now and the decisions that I make when I'm like changing jobs for example um I don't think it's ever going to be the, the one thing that will make me yeah uh change a career but it will be one of the driving factors where I will think about it with a lot of um, importance so it has a lot of weight yeah I think I had put pressure on myself to kind of hit that higher bracket of salary um and comparing myself to my peers and I would be so stressed at the beginning of my career like oh my god I'm not making enough money I'm nowhere near the 100k mark and maybe I'm behind maybe I'm in the wrong industry like advertising doesn't pay a lot like that's a fact and I would be like oh if only I went into finance if only I went into accounting like the more traditional careers I would be making more money but then I realized after that that it's not all about money like yes that was a big factor in my upbringing from my parents, but it's more so like what makes you happy. And I realized that my career isn't a race. Like I don't have to compare myself to other people who are in different industries. You can't even compare that. They're just two completely ex- different experiences. So definitely it's an important factor, but it's not the only factor to consider. Yeah. If you know me well, you will know I'm quite stubborn with my viewpoint that money shouldn't be what determines your future. Mm. I'm really, really big on that, but it doesn't mean that it doesn't play an important factor as well. I think knowing your worth and knowing what you should be paid is probably the bigger lesson here. And growing up, nobody teaches you about what to expect from your industry, what to expect from your career. You probably get all of this information from Googling, but nobody teaches you about like finances. There's no handbook to tell you. And our parents don't have experience with earning salaries. They work shift work. So they get paid like cash in hand sometimes, you know, like it's hour by hour. So even the idea of getting paid a salary, it's completely new. Like I didn't know what a salary was, which is crazy thinking about it now. Yeah, I think this brings me back to the point of us talking about how our parents only really came to Australia like 20 or 30 years ago. And in the years that they came, they were kind of like figuring things out from scratch. And so us going to university and understanding the education system is kind of like a self kind of guided path. And so understanding anything in life, we don't really have the luxury of kind of being able to tap into our parents' kind of um, knowledge about these things. They may be knowledgeable in other areas, but I think, you know, everything about university, salaries and working in Australia, um, it's much harder for us because we have to kind of figure it out for ourselves 
Yeah, I agree. And then we, I think I just feel so lucky that we didn't have to go through the struggle that they went through. And then we have so many opportunities here that it is a privilege compared to them coming to Australia with nothing. Yeah, thinking back, I think a lot of my decision-making growing up, even just throughout high school, like you're in your teenage years, yet I think there was this kind of um, ambition for ourselves to really back ourselves as well. And I think that's what drove me to really search for opportunities so that my parents wouldn't have to suffer any longer. I know it sounds like super negative. super dramatic. (laughs) Super dramatic, but... Um, you know, like thinking about how I grew up and the struggles that we faced financially, and especially with four girls in the family mm. as well, that was really, really tough. And I just wanted to do as much as I could to alleviate the stress of my parents. And so how that unfolded was I made sure that I went out and looked for opportunities, um, such as like applying for scholarships um, and stuff like that, that would kind of put me a step ahead but also give my parents kind of less stress yeah for like for us Wendy and I went to a predominantly Asian or Asian dominated I guess school Mm -hmm. I don't know what the stats are but like I would say like 96 (laughs) percent yeah the statistician in me yes Wendy the historian says 96 percent don't quote me on that yeah don't sue us um but yeah i would say majority asian um i don't even know where i'm going with this <laughs> well ma- majority of them were asian and i think a lot of them were probably the oh first. i remember where i'm going with this yes okay. and so we always had i think the advice going into university was get out of your bubble and also apply to as many scholarships as possible to get into universities and we were from a low ses background as well so I think we had that kind of mantra, like, mm. drilled into us. Yeah. I think this is, there was this stigma around scholarships being, like, only if you came from a really, really terrible background yeah. or if you were really, really struggling. But I think what um, obtaining a scholarship really taught me was, like, apply for anything and everything. Mm. Obviously, within reason. Um, <laughs> but you never... Nah, apply for it all. <laughs> But you never know what opportunities are going to come your way. And I think that's like the moral of this story, really. And without that scholarship, I wouldn't have been able to do things such as going on exchange. Mm -hmm. Yep, the topic is back, guys. Exchange. Have a shot every time we talk about exchange. (laughs) But Tracy and I both went on exchange to Europe, as we mentioned in the last episode. But that really helped me grow um, beyond the Fairfield bubble. Yeah. And I think this concept is that a lot of people who live around this area don't really leave kind of 2166 or beyond until they go to university. Yeah. I think having the scholarships kind of opened an entire like, world. I feel like I'm having a scholarship meet, like was a, one of the best things to happen because I had that opportunity to explore more, work a little bit less, and then explore the world and whatnot. Um, and, yeah, it just reassured us when we went to university as well. So what was the transition like for you from going to high school to university? I was like so nervous because I was obviously going into a course where I didn't have any other friends from high school. And, you know, when you have friends or people that you know, you kind of stick to your comfort zone and you know you've got like a safe space or a safe group to hang with. But I legit had to start from scratch. Mm. I had no friends. And in design, if you ever went to UTS Building 6, 
oh my gosh, I know there's a meme about this, but there was this kind of, I don't know, standard that you had to meet of like how you would dress, dress. like very, very hipster. Designer things. Yeah. And I obviously did not have the wardrobe to live up to those standards. I think I was in a UTS hoodie like all the time. Um, but yeah, it was quite an overwhelming experience, not only because of the travel, like we have to travel an hour into the city to get mm. into uni, but just social anxiety of meeting people. And people that I knew were probably not from Southwest Sydney. Yeah, like for me, I didn't know. I did, like, There was nobody from our school that went into marketing at UCID. And I was always kind of the minority in the room as well, especially like in first year, I really noticed that where I was like, oh, I don't know where my people are. <laughs> nobody knows where I'm from. And yeah, there's no one really from the area. So it's really intimidating. Yeah, and I think, you know, as Asians, you kind of gravitate towards your own because there's a level of comfort that they understand the background that you've come from. And so your worldviews are probably more aligned than anybody else who's from other parts of Sydney as well. Yeah. And I think that is such a sigh of relief when you can find your people when you're going through something really new in life. But when you can't find your people, you kind of have this identity crisis of like, what am I doing here? Is this the right course for me? Um, Do I even have permission to be here? Am I good enough? Mm. And it was also because when you come out of high school to uni, you obviously are going to talk about or introduce yourself and where you came from and what school you came from. People ask you what ATAR you got, what subjects you did. And I couldn't say, really say that I did any design subjects other than textiles. And my textiles project was absolute trash. So <laughs> <laughs> I had like zero confidence in myself that I was going to be a successful designer But I think I eventually got over that when I started to just focus on myself rather than looking at other people and how they compared to me. Mm. Um, And that was like a turning point. And I think it really happened when I went on exchange because I realized like I have a place in this world just as much as other people do and a place in this industry as well. Yeah, it feels like maybe we had to work a little bit harder because we didn't have people to relate to as quickly. And we didn't have point of references, like, I don't know, parents or um, family who went into the industries that we did. So we had to kind of do the research from scratch. Yeah, you raise a good point because I think it goes back to when I was saying, or when you asked me the question of, was there kind of anyone that I really looked up to before going into design? And honestly, honestly, there was nobody. And when I got into uni, that was the first time I was exposed to like industry designers. Mm. And I think that's so important for expanding your views of the industry itself because you really learn so much through other people's lived experiences. And we always had like industry designers coming in and talking about the types of jobs that they do. And there was such a variation and so much that I didn't know about. I don't know if it was the same for you in marketing. Yeah, I think so. We had people from the industry come in and that really opened my view to what the industry was like. And I do feel like there are so many opportunities at university out there for you to pursue. Like there are so many networking events with industry. There's internships to take. You can volunteer. You can do mentoring. There's just so much out there for you to take. You just have to say yes to everything. And I feel like I always say that university is a time for you to say yes to everything. You just have the time to experiment. Like nothing really matters, I would say. 
like there's no consequences you're not working full-time you're not supporting a family I don't know like you can literally say yes and experiment to everything and I think that Mm. is such a special time especially once you're young and learning and for people who might not have exposure to um all these opportunities growing up yeah and I think I can definitely resonate with that because I did a lot of uh, mentoring myself when I was in uni and I do remember a big driver of that was just being able to kind of uh, inspire others who went through the same uni program as me um, and being able to kind of like give back to the community. I think that was such a big kind of passion of mine during university. And so I think, you know, if you can put up your hand to do those things, if you're still in university, if we have any younger listeners, Mm -hmm. um, definitely do because I think it opens your world up to so many other uh, opportunities and experiences that you never probably would have thought about especially growing up in our area like you don't know what you don't know until you allow all these things to come into your space and your yeah world. and I think the, the situations will be uncomfortable if you feel like maybe you're the only one in the room but just put yourself out there because you will learn and you will get to know people that you never have met before and get all these diverse experiences and perspectives as well yeah I think bringing that back to how we feel in the industry now I think we still feel that to a certain degree. We're still going through these experiences. But what's different is probably we're probably less shy about um, kind of confronting those mm. uncomfortable experiences and and how they surface up in our uh, industry lives as well. And I think we kind of go through this cycle of growth where something uncomfortable happens, makes us question our identity. We learn so much about ourselves and then we start to challenge what's happening around us. And then it starts again when something new comes up. And I think um, that's going to happen throughout the different like chapters of your life and the milestones that you hit. And I think where we are now, just reflecting back on our entire experience, I think, you know, we probably felt lost a lot of the time Mm -hmm. um, from high school to uni to industry. But I think what I want to say is that if you believe in yourself and take every opportunity that you can get, Um, I think you open up so many kind of valuable pathways for yourself to explore. Yeah, I agree. And I think why we want to do this podcast as well is that to share these experiences with people who might not also have a point of reference um, in coming from, I don't know, migrant parents as well, migrant families. Yeah. Okay, so I think that's a nice spot to bring our episode to a close. So as we do every episode, we've got three dinner table questions to ask each other. So, Wendy, what is the best piece of advice you've ever received? Um, I don't remember who told me this, and so I can't credit, so it's going to be like a dash unknown. <laughs> but the best piece of advice I've ever received and has stuck with me every single day since I've been told this piece of advice is to prepare for the worst but to hope for the best. Mm. And I think what that means is kind of go into every situation kind of prepared for all types of scenarios and the worst case scenario, and then coming out of it, if the worst case scenario does happen, you know that you've prepared for it. And so your expectations are not kind of like, you're not like shocked. It just helps with anxiety. Yes. That's a good tip. Yeah, definitely. And I think in the nature of consulting, like there are so many anxiety inducing moments. So knowing that you've prepared for every situation. Yeah. Is, um, yeah, a relief. Hmm. How about you? I think my one is to back yourself. Um, you have worth and, you know, go for the negotiate, like negotiate for your pay, negotiate for external training, 
back yourself in your industry because you know you work hard and you do deserve those things as well and they're almost like a bare minimum thing that you should really um fight for and it's really good advice that i received from a mentor um because she kind of had a good point where she felt like if i was a male i wouldn't even be thinking about these things like oh should i be getting getting paid more should i ask for this i don't want to be a burden but really having confidence in yourself and what you're worth and then going for those things and asking for them second question what does me time look like for you so i love a good me time um I feel like Sundays are perfect me time days. I'm extroverted, but I definitely need a day or something to recover and just do things that makes me really happy. For me, my me time activities are always activities that I feel very zen, like I go into flow and I like lose track of time. So that's things like reading, sewing for me, um, even catching up on YouTube, like things where I can just be by myself in my room, I can light a candle and just zen, be zen. <laughs> so I think that's what me time, the perfect yeah. me time. It's like so. creating the right, ambiance ambiance yes (laughs) um to kind of really put yourself in that state of mind where you can just relax and you're not like so consumed by what's happening on social media what's happening like in a work context like that's really important for me and I think similar to you Tracy I try and do things that allow me to have creative manifestation because I think in my day-to-day even though I'm in the creative industry sometimes it can get quite like same same and so doing things that are quite practical, hands-on. Um, so things like making jewellery for my side business is such a great way to get Wendy. Buy Wendy, sorry. Doing stuff like that, but also um, I think exercise has become such a big yeah. part of my life as well because it puts you in this state where you're just so focused on exercising that you don't think about anything else yeah i love a good exercise i feel like i've recently or in the last year just kind of been like more addicted to the feeling of feeling good after exercising rather than feeling like exercising results in body results body changes it's more of a feeling of feeling good after exercising yeah you feel like invigorated and like ready to take on the world Mm. specifically if you like run at night time and it's really really cold that's a tip by the way (laughs) i'm not running at night In a safe place. Cool. <laughs> All right. The last question is, what is something obscure people don't know about you? So, oh, I just have so many interesting flathead. facts. <laughs> oh, my God. I was hoping you wouldn't bring this up. Okay. I'll, I'll admit it. Out of so, my head is not completely round. And I know people, you know how people always I think it's normal, isn't it? Yes, exactly. Yeah. People always say this to me, right? They're like, nobody's head is completely round or oval or whatever. It's mine. But. I'm not about to feel your head, but if you feel my head, I've got like a major dent in my head. Yeah. Like it's, it kind of freaks people out. So if you see me next time, you haven't felt my head yet. You're more than welcome. <laughs> Stranger <to> danger. <laughs> you're more than welcome to feel the flat spot on my head. Like it's with permission. Yeah, with permission. What about you, Tracy? <laughs> I can't talk that. <laughs> um, I think mine is a bit of a, a family. What would you call it? A family secret? secret? No, not a secret. A family, a like... Yeah, okay. So, apparently my family are descendants of the true dynasty from China. So, we're Ooh. apparently the, like, 20-something generation of the true dynasty. If you look it up on Wikipedia, you'll see a page. Not without names on it, but you see our last name and 
yeah, that's the story in my family. They're pretty adamant that we came from royalty, but obviously somebody lost all their money along the way because I don't feel royal. I don't have anything. <laughs> but yeah, that's a fun fact. So that wraps up episode two. Thank you for tuning in and listening to our journey of pursuing non-traditional careers. Yeah, we would love to hear your thoughts as well. Like what is the best piece of career advice you've ever received? So put that in, I don't know, the comments. In the comments, I think there's like a Spotify or I don't think Apple has. I don't know, we're still working this out, but somewhere you'll see a question, just answer it or go onto our Instagram at podcast to join in on the conversation. Yeah, slide into our DMs and you don't have to just answer this question. You can make suggestions about what you would like to hear yes. more about. Um, we're open to anything and everything. Yeah, and you know, for our Sydney side of friends, happy Freedom Day. Happy Happy Freedom Week. Yeah, happy Freedom Week. We hit 80% earlier this week um but yeah hope everyone is enjoying their freedom but also still staying staying safe yeah and not getting complacent yeah Yeah. we'll tune in for our next episode thank you everybody Bye. bye